Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. You're listening to the Event Horizon on Krypton Radio. With me is my co-host, Susan Fox. Hello, hello. And our guest today... E.J. Delapena. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the show, E.J. Glad to be here. He is the president and founder of Cowboy Errant Production Company, um, and uh, his current production is a television series called Nobility. And, uh, and we don't do no work because we got nobility. <laughs> <laughs> and we're recording today in front of a live audience at the clubhouse of the Los Angeles Science Fantasy Society here in Van Nuys. And this is all kind of payback because we were scheduled against the nobility panel at LostCon a few months ago. And I'm going, I wanted to go to that. Can't I skip our, our radio worship? No. <laughs> oh. So now so now we get to get you to ourselves. <laughs> Blah ha ha. Yikes. <laughs> we'll be gentle. So tell us a little bit about the show and how it's got how it first what it is and then secondly how it got started. Uh, well, Nobility is a fun uh, sci-fi uh, space opera. Uh, it's so uh, actually we refer to it as more of a uh, dramedy because it's got uh, a lot of humor, but also a lot of uh, uh, dramedy. While mm-hmm. I thought it was because it had one hump. No, wait, that's a dramedy. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! There's a I, I can insert a rim shot effect later. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, we have a lot of very wacky characters. We've got, you know, the uh, gay Asian cowboy played by James Kyson from Heroes. We've got the alcoholic engineer played by uh, Walter Koenig from Star Trek. We've got uh, the shrink who probably is more in need of therapy than <laughs> than um, his patients played by Doug Jones. All shrinks are crazy. It's known. <laughs> well, this one may be a little more so than most. Ooh. Uh, you know, we have an amazing cast, and the fun, the thing I really like about uh, what we as a team have created here is we have a lot of fun with our misfit characters, but each of them are damaged in some way, and that's why they behave in the in these very eccentric behave, uh, ways. And they're but they pull together, and actually, they get something done. Precisely, I and know. they end up being, uh, despite being these you know wacky. People, they are very, very uh, real people who exist in a real world with consequences for their actions. That's not something you see in science fiction all the time. You sail away to the next planet, and that's it. 
Oh, no, no. Um, one of, and actually it was uh, LostCon uh, where I actually got to meet uh, one of my um, role models, J. Michael Straczynski, mm. uh, which for those of you who don't know, LostCon puts on the LostCon uh, event. And, you know, him being one of my, my uh, role models, Babylon 5 was a huge show for me and a very huge influence. And so this show isn't purely episodic. We have a long story arc that go, that is already mapped out for five seasons. Oh, we're doing pre-production on our own series. It's a, a it's radio an audio series. series. We're working out the story arc ourselves. And how much time did it take you to do that? I mean, it's it's it just the more I work on the story arc for hours, uh, the more I realize I have more work to do. <laughs> it, just, it just keeps on. It just explodes exponentially as you go. Um, yeah, it, it, it's definitely one of those things that you can't do all in one sitting. The way I did it is, you know, to say how much work, how much time, it's really hard to say because it was, you know, I'd get an, uh, a flash of inspiration. I'd sit down for a couple hours. You know, a week later, same thing. A month later, you know, I'd sit down for three hours, you know, and just bits and pieces built it over time. So to say, mm-hmm. I can say I've been working on this project since late 2012. That's a, that's a fair amount of time. That's oh, pretty yeah. substantial. What um, have you got on uh, for us to see tonight? What? what what can we see tonight? Have you shot any Have you shot any footage? You know the show's on radio, right? Well, yes, <laughs> well, yes we do. <laughs> no, I've actually brought I brought a uh, one of our our early trailers as well as a series of uh, confessional videos just uh, that we shot early on just to show <laughs> folks uh, you know a little bit about the characters and whatnot. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the uh, format of the show. The way we've been billing it is uh, Firefly meets The Office. <laughs> so, <laughs> yikes. With a tone that's very similar oh to The my. Office. Uh-huh. Or, I'm sorry, very similar to Firefly with with confessionals and and whatnot, very similar to The Office. Oh, okay. I was about to say, have you turned the starship off and on again? <laughs> <laughs> you say, Scotty never did that. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to have to use that. You will. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, once the, the, once the interview's over, we'll we'll run the clip, uh, and uh, we should be able to uh, extract uh, show you some audio some for of it to play for and you put later. it on the website so that sure. you can see it. On if you're listening to this now, you should be able to go to kryptonradio.com and look at the article for Nobility, and you'll see the video clips there. Awesome. So. Uh, how did you acquire this amazing cast? You know, uh, just like when we were, um, or when I was sitting there putting together the series Bible and uh, working out the story arcs, it really was something that was bit by bit over time. We got, you know, uh, two or three on, on the number of the cast just through mm-hmm. connections I had, people I met at conventions, things like that. And then, they, you know, then we would go and approach them and say, okay, well, who do you want to work with? And mm-hmm. they would say, well, you know, this person I think might be interested, that person might be interested. And then just one by one we started approaching people until we got the amazing cast that we have. So you've, uh, some of the people you know are, have been working with uh, so, a lot of the other uh, high-profile science fiction fandom-oriented productions. Um, in particular, Mark Scott Zacree and mm. uh, Space Command. Mm-hmm. who has been, he's just been sort of the tentpole holding up a lot of the science fiction production community. And uh, how much would you say that helped or hurt your 
progress? Um, I wouldn't say it it hurt our progress. We've both Space Command and Nobility have uh, both of our studios are very close to each other, and we've helped each other out and shared contacts and whatnot. So I say it's been a mutually beneficial relationship. Uh, but yeah, that's great. So, um, so what is your job description? I'm the uh, on the show. Yeah. My character, or 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 on are the you actual, an actor? Are you a runner? producer? Are you the, the... yes? Okay. <laughs> I um... craft services. Uh, sometimes. <laughs> no, I, I have I have a small role in it where I play the uh, ship's doctor, uh, and then I wrote it, I produced it, I created it. You know, so showrunner. Uh, mm-hmm. This point would probably be the most accurate, accurate title. Uh, executive producer. Yeah. Creator. So you've been in uh, you've been working in the entertainment industry. Uh, yeah, you've since had a long nineteen ninety one. Uh, nineteen ninety one. Short. Yeah, yeah. I, since I since I was short, I yes. like that. Um, since I was three years old, I think is when I signed with my uh, first agent and so, child actor. We've seen you. We we didn't hate you then, even though you, know, <laughs> you may not have always played the good kid. Oh, no, I played a bully a few times. Um, I think the role that most folks would recognize me in is uh, Johnny from Jingle All the Way. <laughs> so Phil Hartman's kid. The Phil kid Hartman's kid. <laughs> There's a claim to fame. Let's, let's you know, boost your brand recognition a little, little beyond Jingle All the Way, shall we? I am down with that. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> it's only been, what, 20 years? <laughs> So you really have been in the entertainment industry for quite a long time, spending a lot of time on the set. And, oh, yeah. You know, so you're familiar with the rhythms of production and, and how things go. Well, and, no wonder he likes uh, JMS. He's, you know, be, who was helpful to, to other veterans of the child actor uh, job Oh, yeah, yeah, Bill yeah. Mooney. Uh, Bill Mooney. Nice guy, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, he has been. Have to, but there's no kids in this show. I, uh, well, not yet. Ooh. Ooh, I think I think we just got dropped the plot bomb here. <laughs> this is cool. Okay. <laughs> so why nobility? Why is it called that? Uh, well, it's eponymous for the ship. You know, yes, I know. Why did they name the ship that? Uh, because it was the most ironic thing I could think of. <laughs> <laughs> <All together>. Ooh. <laughs> this um, is poor space trash, is it? <laughs> Well, the ship itself is noble. It is the most powerful ship of humanity, uh, of the Confederate Alliance, which is the pan-human government. It is, um, uh, you know, the flagship of the fleet. Uh, but the crew, as the tagline goes, is anything but noble. So. Well, that's, that begs the question of how did all of these losers end up on the, the flagship of the fleet? Well, one thing I think we need to keep in mind is that just because you're eccentric mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that you're incompetent. So they're they're good at what they do. They're just just not at first glance. <laughs> How many members of this club have we known who were space you know space science geniuses and could not be trusted to tie their shoes? Okay. <laughs> well, I, I, I see somebody some in the audience hands. raised his hand. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you shoot on what do you shoot on your uh, 4k or yeah 4k red uh, uh-huh. we had a number of cameras uh, at one point we were shooting uh, one of the uh, big fight scenes in the pilot and we had a red one a red scarlet and a red dragon 
Wow, that is a lot of that's a lot that's of expensive lot of hardware. Yeah, uh, how do you? I mean, you've been working with the stuff since everybody shot everything on film. How do you find the the uh, digital cameras? Uh, I have friends. No, no, I mean, how do you? Find oh, them how do you? Oh, I thought you meant like how do I find source everybody them? Else. Comparing, yeah. comparing. <laughs> I have friends. I do. I, I, I comparing have them, Comparing them to uh, film cameras, you know, like. A, Dude, he's probably never seen a film camera. Oh, not truth. Uh, Jingle was shot on thirty-five. You weren't shooting it. Well, no, I wasn't <laughs> shooting it. I got to peer through, like, I, I'd go up to the cameraman and, like, up. can I peer through it? And I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, stupid kid. Uh, <laughs> Wrong union. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I didn't have a lot of experience. You know, you're right. I didn't have a lot of experience um, behind the camera mm-hmm. when it was... Um, when it was on film. On film. I do remember a lot of being on set, watching mm-hmm. the film crew, seeing them, you know, what they had to do to go through the film uh, or dealing with the film, how much more complicated it is because they have to make sure it doesn't get accidentally exposed. And uh, then, yeah, changing changing a film magazine on the fe- in the field, you do it in a black bag and you do it by touch. Yeah. Ask me how I know. How do you so know? I used to I used to do that. Oh. Uh, as a matter of fact, there was a... I remember one shoot where we were flying over Los Angeles in a helicopter, and I had to do this in a black bag in my lap while we were in the air. Oh, and, and the cameraman, yeah, and yeah, and, and the cameraman was strapped into his chair, hanging out the side of the helicopter oh. with the camera. Oh, and I'm passing him magazines. <laughs> So. I, I'm like imagining like some scene out of Vietnam, and you're handing him like ammo cases. And he's like, ah! <laughs> practically, <laughs> is, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's a 35 millimeter pin registered. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's a stop motion camera used for time lapse. So it weighed about four times what a normal camera oh, would, and the Lord magazines Lord. were about 20 pounds. Oof. And yeah, you did it all by touch. Or you didn't do it. Yeah, Yeah. I remember I was shooting a a student film uh, called Aquaphobia. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was going and I was talking to the camera people. Like, okay, like, why do you, what are you doing? Why do you need to do it and all that? And and they were explaining it all to me. And I was like, oh my God, I never want to do that because that seems so, you know, it seems so difficult. Um, But um, there was one short that I helped produce that the main producer and the director insisted on shooting on 16 millimeter and it just it complicated the whole shoot so much because now you had to buy film you couldn't just buy a hard drive which was Mm -hmm. much cheaper you then had to telescene it and turn it into a digital format so that you could edit it on a computer because lord knows you do not want to edit on one of those um you don't want to edit on a flatbed thank you yeah which you know if you choose to go that route you know and and you're a filmmaker great but it does make your life a lot more difficult. Yeah, it's uh, everything about a motion picture camera. It's and it's funny because when video cameras started to be introduced into the production process, everybody was going, "Oh my God, you're going to be dragging cables everywhere you go. The only place you can possibly ever shoot is on a stage." And uh, <laughs> not so much. It, yeah, and now they've solved Wait. all those problems, and the cameras are battery operated, and they don't have to have it. They don't have to be attached to a truck anymore. Well, we could. And they used to we have. We could to. solve it for the space program. We need well, <laughs> yes. But uh, in the you know in the beginning of of uh, using video for production, you you had a an umbilical the size of your arm, and it, you were bolted to a truck. Oof. Wow. Yeah. That seems like even more difficult. I'd rather deal with film at that. Yeah. Point. Oh yeah. It was it was <laughs> horrifying, and I I couldn't imagine why anybody would try even try that. And now uh, it's progressed now to the point where uh, uh, 20th Century Fox 
I think last year uh, they released their last motion picture on film. They don't release on film anymore. Really? You, yeah, there's no such thing as a projection print anymore. Wow. It's all gone. All wow. gone. I mean, I knew we were heading that direction. I didn't realize it was, it was so Yeah, it's, it's already happening. Uh, some of the smaller distribution companies are still using film, but the big ones don't anymore. Hmm. Film has been removed from every single step of making a motion picture. So there's no such thing as going to see a film anymore. We yeah, go to the cinema. You go to the cinema. You go to see a motion picture, but you don't go see a film just because there isn't any film. Yeah. It's all gone. Man, I, I, I'm going to have to start changing my terminologies. <laughs> <laughs> We go to the cinema now. Well, you know, and it's it's, uh, a few years ago, you would be, uh, you know, back before the transition, uh, the directors would say, oh, I'm sure. Back before your transition? uh, No, he's still a boy. Oh, okay. Uh, You'd talk to a director and they say, oh, yes, I'm shooting in 70 millimeter. Well, you know. No, you're not. (laughs) No, you're not, because 70 millimeter is a release format. You shoot in 65, because the extra five millimeters were for the audio tracks for projection. (laughs) You know, so you hear a director say, oh, I'm shooting in 70 millimeter. You, you know he doesn't know what he's, he's talking yeah. about. Big <laughs> L on your forehead. Big L on your forehead. Uh, but they used to say that, you know. But it's the terminology. Uh, uh, it's what people are used to hearing. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be filming. Well, that sounds pretty. Well, we still dial a phone, too. Yeah. When was the last time <laughs> you used to dial a phone? You um, CC carbon copy on your email? No. Carbon, carbon <laughs> copy. That's what it means. Well, I, I like how the save icon is still a three and a half inch floppy. Kids don't have any idea what the hell that is. <laughs> uh, which, and we had to explain it to his teenager. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, go figure. Yeah, my son had no idea. Why so is that how a did you, How much, uh, how big a hard drive do you have to put in a, a 4K camera for, mm-hmm. when you, for a day's shoot? Well, or is it is it SD cards it, for the actual camera for for the Reds at least? I can't speak about the RE or anything like that. But uh-huh. I would assume it's something similar. They're specialized SD cards, so so they're not an SD card, but mm-hmm. they're specialized storage. Mm-hmm. He is uh, indicating uh, with his hand something the size of a credit card, which is just astonishing. <laughs> yeah, and then when that runs out, they go and they dump it into one of the hard drives we have laying about because mm-hmm. we just strew them about, you know, carelessly. Uh, <laughs> That's not good for them. Oh, it's not? No. Oh. You might trip. I, I, I'll be right back. <laughs> so but, how many episodes have you shot so far? Uh, we shot the pilot. Uh-huh. And right now we're talking to various companies and we're getting a lot of interest from a lot of different folks and we should be releasing uh, with any luck this year. That's awesome. So by release, this is supposed to be a television series. Mm. By release, what kind of distribution channels are you looking at? Uh, depends on which of the many options before us we choose. Oh, uh, like there's Hulu, Amazon, uh you could YouTube it, but you scarcely make any money doing that. Right. Um, I don't want to name any Netflix. names just because we're, of we're too early are. in the process yeah. to right. answer the question, I think. Yeah, yeah. But, it's, but, it's but, a, we can but it's a digital distribution system like that rather than... Most likely, yeah. Okay. Most likely. But like I said, we're getting a lot of different, uh, a lot of uh, interest from a lot of different folks. Uh-huh. Uh, one thing that we are being very clear about is one way or another, this is going to be released. This is getting out to audiences. One of the reasons why I decided to do this the way that we've done it without a uh, major studio backing it and, and along the independent route is because we felt that this was kind of sci-fi that sci-fi fans deserve. 
this is the kind of sci-fi fans, uh, sci-fi that sci-fi fans haven't been getting for years. I mean, when was the last true space opera that was out there? You know, this, this is I all hitting all remember. at once. You know, and I'm finding that a very interesting phenomenon. What's well, that? The the whole revival of the space opera concept. You know, Star Trek's been yep. off a while, and there's been nothing else close. Well, exactly, and so I I, I as a frustrated fan decided that I wanted to create something to fill that void. And I didn't want a industry um, or an establishment that had written the entire concept of a space opera off to get in the way. And so because of that, even if we don't end up with a major partner, which is unlikely at this point, but even if that were the case, it would still get released. That is exciting. The fact that you are confidently saying, we are going to get major distribution. We don't know where yet, but we're going to get it. That is exciting stuff because it speaks so well. Yeah, well, but it it speaks so well of the the genre itself. And what I'm seeing personally is that uh, the fans are sort of taking over the genre, taking the, the genre yes. back. Yes, thank you. Yes, yeah. and some fans of them have had the big names, back. but you know, the rest of us are just aspiring. Well, I mean, whether or not you have a major name attached, like our project, or any of the number of other projects that are out there that are grassroots projects, mm-hmm. or as long as you're out there and creating and creating something that you love, go for it. You're not in the wrong. And you're creating more of that genre that we all know and love. And in addition to that, you're helping fans, the people who truly own this genre, take it back, take ownership of it, so that we don't have an establishment out there telling us what we're going to watch. So much of the production of what we have been given over the last 20, 30 years has been driven by the big Hollywood machine Mm -hmm. and all of the excess baggage that goes with that. There are so many people in the industry who who couldn't hold down a regular job if they tried because they don't know (laughs) because they don't know how to behave towards other people because they they work with somebody and they they treat everybody like dirt. And then in in 16 weeks, they're gone and you'll never see them again. And they know that. Mm hmm. So, well, it takes all kinds. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have a lot of those folks out there, and you have a lot of folks out there that are decent folk just trying to make mm-hmm. a living, or they're passionate about what they're doing. Uh, and it's just a matter of if you're working in the industry, uh, learning how to tell the difference and to see past the fakeness. In other words, the reason that we're recording this uh, episode of the Event Horizon sitting down is to prove that after this many years in the business, we still can. We can sit down? <laughs> EJ gets it. I do? Yeah, Hollywood. Trust, I get it. I get it. Trust me translates to bend over. Yeah. A lot of the time. Well, and, you know, those folks out there who aren't trying to ream people as you put it as you uh, <laughs> uh alluded to you know th- those are the folks who, who aren't trying to do that it makes life a lot harder because people begin to expect that yeah they really do and it it makes it much much harder to to talk to people about 
really good ideas and get things going because they expect that you're not from the you know you're not shooting straight. You're, yeah. you're shooting from the hip, and you don't know what you're doing, or you have other plans for the money they're going to give you other than what you said, and yeah. uh, it just makes it very hard to get anything else done. Yeah, and and you get it from both sides. The people who are negative like that. Mm-hmm expect you to be like that and so they treat you like that like you're going to mm-hmm. uh, screw them over and then the people who aren't like that have been screwed over so much and they're afraid of being screwed over that they treat you like that and it can mm-hmm. be you know it can be a dangerous world to navigate well and that's what i think is so positive about what you're doing is mm-hmm. that you are bypassing most of the hollywood machinery that that creates that environment in the first place because everybody who's working with you is is working with you because they want to be there. They love what they're doing. They love your ideas and your project, and they want to be a part of it. Can and you be my publicist? <laughs> <laughs> Do you need one? <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't hurt. <laughs> but uh, but no, thank you very much. That, that's that's very kind. Yeah, but you know, we, you also have to take into account that a lot of the stuff that we grew up on that were uh, that we became attached to were studio productions were uh were put on by the machinery especially back before this digital revolution where it cost so much more was so much more difficult because the tools weren't as refined and weren't as made every man so to speak Mm -hmm. so you have uh you've got quite the cast here you've got doug jones Speaking of nice people. Speaking of nice people. Wonderful, wonderful man. Are you in scenes with I see his name is Dr. Havel or something. Yeah, Havel Allard. Yeah, and he's a doctor and you're a doctor. You must look like a ball and a bat standing together. (laughs) (laughs) And he's seven foot tall and skinny and you're neither. (laughs) You're being polite for saying I am fat. (laughs) This would be the pot calling the kettle fat. (laughs) An office building with a two-car garage. <laughs> <laughs> and let's see, we've got uh, Tori Higginson from Stargate Atlantis. Stargate Atlantis, yeah. Atlantis Stargate. also from Stargate um, uh, Christopher Judge. Yes, yes, yes. I'm given to understand was, was as, as jolly and amusing as, as his character in Stargate was not. <laughs> yeah, he is a very, just got a good energy about him. He, he's very kind, very nice, uh, very jovial. At uh, San Diego Comic-Con this past year, we, we hung out a bit, and it was just a lot of fun. And you have Adrian Wilkinson, who has been on the Event Horizon before. Oh, that's right. Oh, she? Yes, she has. Very nice. It was in connection with the Stargate Renegades. Ah, Star Trek Star Renegades. Trek. Star, yeah. Stargate Renegades. I did it again. Renegades. I did it again. <laughs> Oh, God. I knew, you know, when I introduced Tim Russ from Stargate Voyager. I'm sure he thinks I'm an idiot. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, and yep, and on the same show, she introduced <coughs> Manu Interimi. And I, hey, could I, not say, right. I could not say Manu Interimi to save my life. I went through it three times, got it wrong. And she said, stop, stop. Just stop. Just give me this. And then she blows it. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, oh. Manu has a sense of humor, Thank and then you have goodness. that he does. And then you have Ellen Dubin from Lex and from Skyrim. Uh huh. And your captain, yep. it, we've seen about five million times, frequently as as 
you know, Arab terrorists or whatever. <laughs> Cass Anvar. Yeah. yeah, from and Assassin's he's, Creed. He's Arabian American, I suppose. Or Canadian, actually, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he's he's was born in Canada. Yeah. And I, I saw Montreal credits, so that kind of cued me. All the best space captains are from Montreal, apparently. <laughs> and Christopher Judge. We and just talked about him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Miracle Laurie from uh, Dollhouse. What a, what a fantastic name for an actress, first of all. And <laughs> you you just have an amazing, amazing cast. Thank you. Yeah, we. And this uh, is really something. Thanks. We we definitely were very lucky to get them. And, and the team we've been able to put together, both in front of the camera and behind it, is something that I'm very proud of and very uh, grateful for. So the costumes look interesting, and so does your customer. Yeah, Mike, uh, Mike Philpot, yeah. And, uh, for those of you who, uh, are on the radio, Mike Philpot is, uh, giving the camera this huge thumbs up as we go through our EPK and we're looking at pictures of people. <laughs> and he's just, he's looking at the designs and how they came out and how they look on the camera. And he's like, yes! That's exactly what I wanted. It's exactly what I imagined. That's yeah. fantastic. And then we also have Michael Reeves, who's going to be writing for us. Oh, he's been at the, the genre forever, hasn't he? Oh, man. This is from, well, filmation to cartoons to, to now. Well, one is Emmy for Batman the Animated Series, wrote for Sliders, TNG. All those series that were better than they needed to be. <laughs> okay? And then you have Charles-Henri Avalanche. Yes. Who is uh, your composer? A uh, wonderful composer, uh, definitely up and coming. We're very lucky to have him. Every time I hear something from him, I uh, even if I have to for some practical reason, I never want to give him notes because what he's created is just so beautiful. And, and I don't want to mess with it. <laughs> don't break it. I know, yeah. but it's like, but maybe there's like some practical reason sometimes. Where I have to say, oh, it's like, I'm sorry. And I always come to him like on, on bended knee. Charles Henry, can we make this little change here? <laughs> it's like yeah, no problem, and then like he's a pro. Oh, that is. You know, it's like the it's like the old saying: if it ain't baroque, don't fix it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and let's see who else we have. Uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, we have uh, Baron Thomas von Butner. Butner. And what is he doing? Because it doesn't exactly Baron, say what he does. He, we have he nobility. is an actual. We actually your director of photography. Uh, no, no, that's just uh, him looking through a camera. Uh, he is our technical director, and mm-hmm. uh, he's also been doubling as a 3D generalist. And then our VFX supervisor is uh, mm-hmm. Tobias Richter, who's been doing mm-hmm. uh, mainly focused on the exteriors. And your director is Neil Johnson. Yes, from uh, Starship. That's where we met. Uh, he. Pulled me on. Actually, we met on Zikri's project, Space Command, and then he pulled me on to uh, his. Uh, Neil pulled me on to Starship, mm-hmm. uh, where I played one of the leads, uh, along with Darren Jacobs, who's also plays one of the leads in Nobility. And it was just we had such a wonderful time, and I saw how he was able to take nothing and turn it into something beautiful. And so I, mm-hmm. I immediately pulled him on to uh, onto this project. Would you say that having a lower budget is a positive creative challenge? Yes, <laughs> if actually. You live. If you live, yes. Yes, if you live. It creates a lot of practical issues. The thing is, though, the people you do get on board, the people who – and the work that they do is so much more inspired um, because you don't have those millions to throw away 
and people aren't there you know necessarily because they're making these huge paychecks they're there because they want to be there they're more inclined to take their work home with them put in those extra hours whatever it takes because they believe in the project and so while it creates a lot of um, uh, practical issues you oftentimes end up it can end up with you have the right team with something that is just that much better does the do we have questions from the audience yes in the back so my name is Demetrius and um I coincidentally was stationed on board the USS Enterprise, which was the most powerful ship in the U.S. Navy. And I know why it was. So what makes your starship the most powerful ship in your Starfleet? Very good question. Um, trying to figure out how to answer it without giving too much away. A lot of it is little things like like that I'm sure you experience on the Enterprise when comparing it to uh, other carriers that were perhaps older or different class. Uh, of carrier, you know how the technology gets is a little bit better. The the radar is that much better. The the weapons are you know have the you have the best weapons out there. The shields are that much more uh, more powerful. The shield generators can handle that much more energy. The FTL can go that much faster. So a lot of it is things like that. And then in the does it have drink holders? <laughs> well. No, and it doesn't have restrooms either. Come on, this is this is space. Nobody, no, nobody uses the restroom in space. You said this was reality based. I'm playing. Why the Klingons were green? I'm sorry. If you if you poo in space, you you, you, nobody can smell you. Um, Throwing away all that hydrogen and oxygen is a bad idea. That's that's why Ridley Scott won't be seen at Baskin Robbins. You know this one, because in space no one can hear ice cream. Oh. <laughs> I think that was a Wester Cone. Uh, <laughs> but also, uh, uh, just to finish out answering your question, early on in the pilot episode, the ship is forced to pull a few, uh, few tricks out of its bag, uh, out of its hat. And I think you'll quickly see exactly what makes it the most powerful ship, but I don't want to uh, give too much away. Yes, you'll use that too. <laughs> Are there more questions? Uh, yes. My name is Barbara Harmon, and I'd like to know when can we hear your production? Hear my production? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a video production, so yeah, it's, it's not a radio. Well, so. then I'll watch also. Yes. When, um, this interview will be airing on uh, next Saturday. Oh, and then it'll be permanently available as a podcast. Oh, okay. Or, or did and you then mean we would go to kryptonradio.com? Mm-hmm. That's for this interview. Yeah, that's for, that's for the show you're watching being recorded now and the <laughs> show that you've just participated in. <laughs> but uh, Nobility itself is a web series and... Uh, well, we don't know what it is yet. It has yet to yeah. be distributed. Right. You know, it, it, distribution um, deal made yet. Whatever the distribution we'll is, it's a series, one way or the other. It'll either be on TV or the internet. Oh. And right. we're about to see a trailer. And it'll be uh, sometime this year. <coughs> Big me. George. Yes. I George know. Andrew of the Clan McCurso. Nice. <laughs> and um, what I would like to know is, would it be possible to get on a mailing list so that when arrangements are made, I could be notified uh, via my email? Uh, well, the easiest way to follow our progress would be to like us on Facebook and, and on Twitter. He's, he's, on he's Twitter. a... Um, Old school? Email man. Ah, in which case, uh, go to our website, and uh, there's a link there where you can go ahead and, uh, and sign up. And our website is nobilitytheseries.com. 
Thank you. No worries. Thank you. E.J. Jalapeno, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Event Horizon on Krypton Radio. And uh, thank you to Lost Fest for hosting uh, this live recording. You have just heard episode 88 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for January 31st, 2015. Our guest has been E.J. De La Pena, creator and showrunner of the new science fiction space opera video series, Nobility. To find out more about this project, please visit nobilitytheseries.com. Your hosts have been Krypton Radio's station manager, Gene Turnbow, and our executive producer, Susan Fox. Our production manager is Kat Carter. This episode will air again on February 1st, 2015 at 4 p.m. Pacific, and at various additional times throughout the coming week. See the Krypton Radio website at kryptonradio.com for showtimes in your area. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others as downloads at the Krypton Radio website and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2015 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.